Well, good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to have you here this morning. And uh, just what a glorious winter we've had so far. I saw 52 uh, next Monday in February in Minnesota. That's amazing. Uh, I want to say hello to everybody joining us online. Thanks for joining us there. And if you're in a parent viewing room, it's a great option if you have small children you prefer to keep with you during the service. Uh, Before we jump into week two of our series, a couple of quick uh, housekeeping items. One, we've been doing a Lent devotional. If you've uh, missed that, you can still jump in. It just started Ash Wednesday. So uh, it's Monday through Friday. Uh, There won't be anything on Saturdays. And then Sundays we gather together. And so uh, this is just a really cool way. It's written by our friends. John and Emily Alexander, who are pastors here in the Twin Cities. They speak here often uh, times throughout the year. And uh, they put together this Lenten devotional. And all you have to do is subscribe to it. And uh, you can go to our website. You can go to the app. And, uh, and then each morning, it'll just get emailed to you. And I've really enjoyed so far just going through it. We're three days into it. But uh, if you'd like to jump into that, uh, you can go to our website. You can go to the app. You can just download any of that and just Hit subscribe. It'll just get sent to your email each day. It's a great way to start the day. Uh, The other thing is, I just want to, again, mention this. I know it was just in the video, but seven Easter services. And here's what I'll tell you. Uh, There are people who will say yes to coming to church on Easter that might not say yes any other time of the year. But because it's Easter, they're like, yeah, I'll go with you on Easter. And we're working really hard to make it a really clear and compelling, uh, simple message, create environments that make it easy for you to invite your friends. And so I want to encourage you to invite someone. But then, as Amanda said, on top of that, to make sure that we can serve everyone who's getting invited, we're doing seven services. And uh, I'd encourage you to sign up to serve somewhere at one of those services because we're, that's seven times like eight different kids' environments, times seven different services. It's like 56 different kids' environments that we got to staff. And so uh, even if you're like, I'm not going to join a kids' team permanently, consider just serving in one of those kids' rooms for one of those services to lighten the load on all of those kids' volunteers. That would be super, super helpful. So uh, all of that is just at one spot. It's right on our website, right on the church app. It's westbridgechurch.com forward slash Easter. And uh, you can go there. You can find all the stuff about Easter. And then if you want to get to a specific service, register for yourself and your family uh, because we just need to know who's sitting where uh, at what services so that we can accommodate all of the people that are going to be showing up that weekend. All right, so that's all that. Now, last week we started a series called uh, The Rest of the Story. The rest of the story. And this is a story that should have never made it out of the first century, should have never made it out of the Roman Empire. Uh, It should have ended right there. And it's a story that's narrated to us. It's the story of Jesus of Nazareth. This is the story, and it's the story that is told to us specifically by one of his disciples, Simon Peter. And Simon Peter, even though uh, he's telling this story, he is a fisherman, he's uneducated, did not know how to write, uh, probably was unlikely that he knew how to read. And so he's narrating this story and getting it down uh, to a traveling companion named John Mark. And John Mark is recording this, and and, uh, for over 30 years, the Apostle Peter, who's one of Jesus' closest friends and followers, he's traveled all around uh, the Roman Empire. He told his story over and over and over again. And everywhere that he traveled, he would tell people, this is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus did. I was with him. I traveled with him for three years. Uh, I saw what he did, and I heard what he said. And now he's in his 50s, and he's imprisoned in a Roman uh, jail. And We know from history that he doesn't make it out of this alive, that he's eventually executed by the emperor Nero. 
And then John Mark, who is this traveling companion of Peter, he, he knows him, he's heard these stories again and again and again, and now he's, he's putting it all together in one spot, and he's going, okay, let's get this down. Peter, this isn't just a story for one generation. This would be stories that generations can hear. And, and what Peter tells Mark comes to us, we have it in our sort of era in human history as the gospel of Mark or the, the book of Mark in your Bible. And so you've got like, you know, if you read through what we call the New Testaments, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark is that book. Uh, but this is really Peter's telling of this story. He got it from Peter. And then uh, the first century document, this first century document uh, called, you know, we call the book of Mark, would eventually be collected. It would come together with the other eyewitness accounts, Matthew and John, and uh, it, it, they would be bound together with some of the Apostle Paul's letters, uh, some of the letters from uh, James, the brother of Jesus, some other letters that Peter had written and that John had written. And they all get bound together, and then they get, they get put together with uh, the Hebrew Scriptures, or what we now call the Old Testament, and that comes to us now as the Bible, and that didn't happen for about 350 years. And so it's amazing to see, uh, here's why I tell you all that, for the next few minutes as we jump into this story, I don't want you to hear me reading the Bible. Because for some of you, that's a non-starter. You just go, well, you, someone goes, well, that's what the Bible says. And you go, well, let me tell you what else the Bible says. And you're like, uh, that doesn't work for me. And so I, I don't want you to hear me reading the Bible. Uh, what you need to understand is Mark isn't writing the Bible. He's simply documenting Peter's experience with Jesus. And he's collecting the stories of someone who has spent three years with Jesus and then spent the next 30 years retelling these stories. And history tells us John Mark left Rome. He went to Alexandria, Egypt. Multiple copies then were made and distributed all over the Roman Empire these stories from Peter. And so here's the Apostle Peter. He's in his 50s. He's telling the stories, everything he saw when he was with Jesus. And Mark is trying to get it all down. And Peter doesn't want us to miss the big picture. So he starts with this bold statement, right? Mark 1, 1. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He says, I'm convinced, 30 years after his death and resurrection, I'm more convinced than ever before that my friend and my teacher and my rabbi is God in the flesh. He is the Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's the living, breathing Son of God. And we don't believe that uh, Jesus was the Messiah simply because the Bible says so. We believe Jesus is the Messiah because Peter says so. Because people who spent time with him, who saw him die and saw him rise again, give us their testimony. The eyewitnesses documented it for us. And so then Peter jumps right into the story. He, he says, Jesus went into Galilee, which is where Peter was from. He says, where he preached God's good news. And what is that good news? We talked about this a little bit last week. I could summarize it like this. Well, Jesus died for my sins. If I put my trust in him, I get to go to heaven when I die. And until then, be a good boy. Until then, uh, be a good person. Behave yourself. But that wasn't the message. And uh, that's true. Those things are true. It's just not the main point. There's a bigger point that, uh, that the Apostle Peter wanted us to know. There's a bigger point that Jesus wanted us to know. And it's not just, hey, uh, you get to go to heaven when you die. Everywhere Jesus went, his message was the same. He had one consistent theme that he would remind people everywhere that he went. He would say this, the time promised by God has come at last. And what is that thing they're waiting for? All throughout history, the History was waiting on something, not only in Jewish culture, but in pagan culture. They were all waiting, and something had been missing, and the thing that was missing had now arrived. Everything that came before uh, in the pagan world, everything that came before in the Jewish world was all preparation for what God would do now. 
And Jesus would say this, the kingdom of God is near. God's right to rule, God's right to reign, God's kingship, it has now come to earth and it's a, it's a different worldview than anything has ever seen. And the, the appropriate response to the good news, Jesus would say, the good news that the time has now come and that God's kingship has now come to earth, that the king has come to earth. Here's how we respond. He says, repent of your sins and believe the good news. This is good news. See, this is what you do. He would say, face it and embrace it. Turn towards it, repent, turn in that direction, and then embrace the truth. This isn't primarily about getting to heaven when you die. This is about heaven getting into you. The kingdom is a way of living and being in the world here and now, and the good news is you get to participate in it. But if you want to participate in it, you've got to face it and embrace it. You've got to turn in the direction of this new kingdom. You've got to embrace its values in this life here and now. And so Peter's telling the story. And, and as Jesus traveled and taught in Peter's home region of Galilee, Peter would say, the news about Jesus spread so quickly through the entire region that crowds of people would come to him. And we were there, and we lived in Galilee, and we grew up in this region, and I'm telling you, I've never seen anything like it. Peter says crowds of people would press in to Jesus. He was becoming so well-known because of what he was doing. He would heal the sick. He would cast out demons. We've never seen anything like this. And so Peter continues his story. And immediately, as we get into the end of chapter one, Peter launches into three stories, back to back to back, that have kind of a revelation about who Jesus is and how he operates. And there's one big thing that all three of these stories have in common, one kind of through line, one thread that goes through all of these that Peter really wants us to understand. And it's this, the kingdom of Jesus was disruptive to the status quo. I mean, Jesus took the, the status quo, the norm of the day, and he reversed the order of things. He flipped things upside down. Everyone has a way of seeing the world. Everyone has a particular lens through which they saw the world. There's a pagan worldview. There's a Roman worldview. There's a Greek worldview. There's a Jewish worldview. And they all have this particular lens through which they see the world, through which they see deities and the gods and whatever powers they perceive to be sort of running the universe. They all have a worldview, and Jesus steps onto the pages of history, and he offers a brand new way of thinking about everything. And Peter launches into these three stories, one story after another after another, that highlight three major obstacles that keep people from God. And maybe you've experienced one of these obstacles. The message of Jesus is that the kingdom of God is near, and you're never more than one step away from it. That's good news. And so for many of us, that can be difficult to believe because there's some obstacle that stands in our way. Many people come to church, they come to, uh, you know, think about religion or faith or God, and they go, man, I, I would love to connect with God. I would love to have a relationship with God. I would love to have a faith. But here's something that stands in my way, and I just can't get there. And Peter would say, you're not going to believe what Jesus did. I mean, we saw some obstacles that people would have and the way that Jesus removed these obstacles, I mean, it was unbelievable. In fact, here's the first thing Jesus did. Jesus ignored certain religious protocol. Jesus ignored certain religious protocol. It's possible that this has been an obstacle for you. That when it comes to faith, when it comes to God, uh, perhaps the reason you got bumped out of church at some point in your life was because of some kind of really ridiculous man-made rule or regulation that you thought to yourself, this has nothing to do with anything. Why is this a rule? Why is this even a thing? 
right? And, and it's possible you experienced this man-made religious practice that was originally designed to help you love God and love others. And in the very first, last week, we said that the priority of this new kingdom is love God and love others, that that's what would characterize citizens of this kingdom. And perhaps somewhere along the way, somebody just said, well, we're going to create this a system that will help people grow in their love for God and grow in their love for others. And, and pretty soon, somewhere along the way, somebody gave priority to a religious protocol over the people it was designed to help. They established some kind of uh, ritual, established some kind of habit, some kind of man-made regulation or rule, and it was designed to help us grow in our love for God and love for others. But eventually the rule became more important than the, the people that it was designed to serve. And maybe that's been your experience. Somewhere along the way, you just got bumped out of church because, well, we got to keep this rule. And even though it's not necessarily in the Bible, it's really helpful. We got to help God out, you know? And so this will help you stay away from this rule, which will help you stay away from that rule. Uh, they're called extra fences. Like, make sure that you don't get close to this thing. So we're going to back it up to here. So we're going to back it up to here and back it up to here. So make sure you never even get close. And pretty soon, this thing, you're like, I'm not anywhere close to God. I'm so far away. And Peter would say, then you got to hear this story. You're never going to believe what Jesus did. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. Now, leprosy was a horrible disease. In fact, if anyone had leprosy, even if they were perceived any kind of skin uh, rash, any kind of, you know, any kind of skin irregularity, if you even thought that you had leprosy, uh, you would be Banished. You would be sent out to live with the other people who uh, were lepers in a colony, and you would be shunned. You would be ceremonially unclean. You would be not allowed in the temple, not allowed in the city, uh, through the city gate, not allowed in the city boundaries. And you'd live with other people, shunned, live outside the city, not allowed to touch anyone, not allowed to touch anything. They lived basically between living and dying, really unable to die, but unable to live. And they simply existed, and they'd watch other people raise their kids, and they'd watch other people go to the temple and live lives. All the while, they were just stuck because they were shunned on the outside of society. And so it says this, the, the leper comes to Jesus, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. He, he somehow like pushes past the city boundaries, and he gets to Jesus, and he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean, which, by the way, is incredible faith. Incredible faith says this, Jesus, I believe that you can, and I'm hoping that you will. Uh, Jesus, I believe that you can, I'm hoping that you will. I, I, I know you're capable, but I'm, I'm hoping that you're willing. I know that you can, and I'm hoping that you will. And Peter tells us, moved by compassion. Now, this word gets, in earlier manuscripts, it actually gets changed, and I think some of the, as they were uh, putting this into English, they kind of wanted to... Uh, maybe help Jesus out a little bit. But the original text says this, if you interpret it, it says, moved by anger. What is Jesus angry at? Well, he's not angry at the leper. He's angry at the situation. He's angry that there's this social taboo that would exist. He's angry that someone created in the image of God would experience this level of isolation and this level of pain. And so Peter says, Jesus, moved by that, reached out and touched him. And Peter's going, oh, no. Jesus, why did you have to touch him? He's a leper. You don't touch lepers. This is not what you do. Why couldn't you just say something? If you wanted to heal the guy, like we've seen you cast out demons. We've seen you heal people with your words. Why did you have to touch him? Couldn't you just said, be healed and like, like from like six feet away? Uh, couldn't you like just 
give a command. Why in the world did you have to touch him? Now, now that you've touched him, we're going to have to make the seven-day journey back to Jerusalem because any time that you touched a leper or any time that a leper wanted to be clean, if they, if they somehow got past leprosy, they'd have to go to the temple they have to present themselves. They have to make sacrifices. And Jesus, you've touched the lepers. Now we've got to make this seven-day journey back to Jerusalem. We've got to offer a sacrifice. Then the priest has to check you out and make sure that you're clean. And then you can re-enter society. Couldn't you just use some words? Couldn't you just say something to him? But Jesus was not constrained by the purity laws of first-century Judaism. In fact, he didn't care. Jesus chose to meet needs while ignoring the rituals and ignoring political correctness and ignoring religious protocol. Jesus ignores all of that, and he touches the leper. And then the story continues. Jesus says, I am willing. Be healed. And instantly, the leprosy disappeared, and the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. And we read a couple verses later, he told everyone. And wouldn't you? Like, you're not going to believe this. Instead, Jesus says, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. The law of Moses says that if someone was healed of leprosy, they had to go to Jerusalem, they had to find a priest, they had to offer a sacrifice, and then they had to present themselves to the priest. The priest then would say, okay, you are clean, and issue them a bill of health that they could take back to their community to re-enter society. So think about this. He's going through all this stuff going, okay, I got to do this. And Jesus instructs him to do that. But the same law of Moses also says that anyone who touches a leper also has to follow the same protocol. And so the disciples are going, well, Jesus, aren't we going with him? And Jesus goes, nope, we're staying here. But the protocol says, and Jesus says, well, we're staying here. And Peter's going, well, we're supposed to go with him. But Jesus is going, no, this is a time of transition. We're doing something new. Something new has arrived. The old is passing away, and there is something brand new happening. And we, we are stepping into a brand new way of operating. And Jesus breaks with the law of Moses. Jesus says, no, no, no. He introduces something brand new because the kingdom of God is not bound by religious protocol. And for some of you, that's really good news. For some of you, you felt like you were on the outside looking in because of some religious protocol, some religious ritual, some kind of man-made rule or regulation that you felt kept you out. And Peter would say, you wouldn't believe how many of the rules Jesus broke along the way in introducing this new kingdom. And then, before we can even think too much about it, Peter just moves right into another story. It's like he's just spitting these out to, to, to John Mark. And, and in this story, Jesus removes a second obstacle. And this one's, this is amazing. In this one, Jesus claims authority to forgive sins. He, he's like, uh, this is unbelievable, Peter would say. After Jesus heals the man with leprosy, he goes back into the city of Capernaum. Uh, Capernaum is kind of a, a larger city in the area for, for, you know, at that time. It's where Probably they went for supplies. It had the Costco, so that's where they would go, back to Capernaum. And uh, they, they go to Capernaum, and news started to spread. And Peter said, crowds of people. I mean, Jesus' reputation was growing so quickly that crowds and crowds of people would gather around to hear him teach, to possibly be healed of their diseases. And Peter says this, soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors, there was no more room, even outside the door. 
And so while he was preaching God's word to them, well, what is God's word? What is he preaching? The time has come. The time has come. The time you've been waiting for is now here. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news, right? Face it and embrace it. And so while he's teaching this, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And so these four friends, they're carrying their buddy. He's paralyzed. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. And they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Now think about this. I wish Peter would give us more details. Like, was the homeowner there? What was he thinking? Right? Is he, is he like, get off my roof, you crazy kids? Like throwing beer cans at him. Like, uh, what's going on? How, what's he doing? How long did it take? Can you imagine the crowd? And they're just like, they're just watching this reconstruction project take place. And, you know, have you ever, have you ever hit your popcorn ceiling at home by accident? Like, and all the popcorn falls down, if you have those. And man, can you imagine, like, uh, you're standing there and, and just a little bit at first, and then pretty soon you see, like, a hand pop through, and they're starting to peel it back, and the, and the homeowner's just like, what is going on? I knew I shouldn't have invited Jesus. What is happening? And uh, this is going to be so expensive, and, and pretty soon rays of light start to shine through, and then they, they get a hole big enough to lower a man down on a mat, it's unbelievable. Rays of sunlight are shining through the roof. So, and this guy starts lowering down. And, and, and then Peter tells us this. Seeing their faith. Seeing the faith of the four friends. How do you see faith? They're like, well, Jesus, we think you're capable. We hope you're willing. We, we know you can heal him, but we pray that you will. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. To which the entire crowd groans. Because they're going, you're just a man. A mere mortal can't forgive sins. And the, and the paralyzed man groans. Because he's thinking, that isn't exactly what I dropped in for. I came for something else. I mean, appreciate the forgiveness and all, but uh, I don't know if you can tell, I'm paralyzed. And the implications of this statement are huge. The crowd is thinking, wait a minute. You're announcing that this man is forgiven and there's no sacrifice that's been made? You're announcing that this man is forgiven and there's been no visit to the temple? You're announcing that this man is forgiven and there's no priest involved? You're announcing that this man's sins are forgiven and that's it? I mean, you think you're greater than hundreds of years of tradition? You think you're greater than Moses? You think that you can counter all of that with just a word? Jesus, who do you think you are? And we know that's what they're thinking because of what Peter says next. <laughs> he says, some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. They didn't have a category for this at all in their minds. And Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? And I think Peter's making a mental note right now. I think he's going, okay, he heals lepers, casts out demons, and he reads minds. we got to be careful around this guy. That's unbelievable. He says, Jesus continues, he says, Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? Now, here's what you have to understand about how they saw sin and sickness and the correlation between the two. In ancient times, in both pagan cultures and in Jewish culture, this is how they viewed it. They assumed there is a correlation between sickness and sin. 
They just, this is just the assumption. In all of the ancient world, the assumption was this, that if you had some kind of sickness, if you had some kind of disease, it was because you were being punished for some type of sin. If someone was born with an ailment, the assumption was someone had sinned. Even in pagan times, if you had an illness, if you had a child who was born with a problem, the assumption was you had made the gods angry or you hadn't offered enough sacrifices to make them happy enough to be pleased with you. And so it was common to assume that sickness was a direct consequence of personal sin, that there was a one-to-one correlation. And in other words, something is wrong with you because you did something wrong. That was how they, that's just how the ancient world saw things. Something is wrong with you because you did something wrong. And Jesus completely rejects that view. In fact, he talks about it later on. Somebody asks, well, why, is this, why does this guy have this ailment? Was, did he sin or did his parents sin? And, and Jesus goes, this just doesn't work that way. But Jesus did hold to the Genesis view, which says this. On the heels of sin, sickness and death entered the human experience. It's not a one-to-one correlation, but sin opened the door to sin. Uh, sin opened the door to sickness and disease and to death. And so there's a relationship, but it's not a one-to-one correlation. It's why it can be so confusing in our world when you're like, why do bad things happen to good people? What is that all about? Why doesn't God just protect the righteous and, you know, strike the wicked? You know, it's just like, but all, oftentimes in our world, there's a lot that doesn't make sense because it's not a one-to-one correlation. It's just that on the heels of sin, Sickness, disease, and death entered the human experience. It's not a one-to-one correlation. It makes it difficult to explain. It makes it difficult to wrap our brains around. So this is what Jesus says next. He says, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. How can anyone substantiate that they have the power to forgive sins? Well, there's only one way, by physically reversing the consequence of sin. They saw it as he must have sinned because he's paralyzed. So Jesus goes, all right, I'm going to put the consequence of how you view this, I'm going to put that back in the box. So Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Can you imagine the suspense of this moment? Can you imagine being in that house that day, hearing Jesus say this? There's, a, there's you know, sunlight coming through the new skylight. And... Everyone goes, you can't do this. You can't say that. You, you, you don't have the power to do this. And Jesus goes, watch me. And now they're waiting to see if it'll actually happen. You could hear a pin drop. Jesus says, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Do you ever wonder if God could really forgive your sins? Do you ever wonder when God hears your prayers, like, maybe he can't help but look at me through the lens of my past. Maybe he can't help but look at me through the lens of my sins. Maybe he can't, look, maybe he can't help but look at me through the lens of what I've done, what I said I wouldn't do, but I did anyways, what I promised to do and haven't done, um, all the ways I've fallen short. Is it possible God could actually remove my sin and that I could actually experience peace with God? And Peter, who knew Jesus, would say, absolutely. Because I saw it over and over and over and over and over. 
Once upon a time, all we did was offer sacrifices. Once upon a time, every time that we sinned, we'd go to the temple, we'd go to the priest, we'd slaughter an animal, we'd offer a sacrifice. And when Jesus came, he completely reversed the order of things. It was so disruptive, but it was so freeing. And Jesus would say, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Face it and embrace it. And when you face and embrace this good news, you can know with assurance in your heart that your heavenly father doesn't hold your sin against you. And my prayer is that some point in your life, you can come to the understanding that if your heavenly father doesn't hold your sin against you, you no longer have to hold it against yourself. That you can learn to forgive yourself as your heavenly father has forgiven you. And this would set up this ongoing conflict. This story, this, this interaction with the, with the uh, religious leaders would set up this ongoing conflict with Jesus, between Jesus and the religious leaders. Because when Jesus claimed the power to forgive sin, he replaced the entire temple system. If Jesus, if you can just forgive people's sins, then you're saying we don't need to go to the temple, we don't need to offer sacrifices, we don't need to see a priest. And so all of the religious leaders who were uh, really a part of that system did everything they could to protect that system. And that created an ongoing conflict with Jesus who came to put an end to that system. And this made him an enemy. And word would reach Jerusalem and they would send leaders to, to travel up to Galilee to watch and to see what is this guy saying? What is this guy doing? What is he teaching? And until then, Peter would jump right into another story that removes one more obstacle. Jesus was uncomfortably comfortable with unrepentant sinners. Jesus, didn't, it didn't seem to bother him at all. He would, he would cozy up to people that were the most irreligious. He would cozy up to people who were the, the, the most ungodly. And so they're still in Capernaum. It's this, it's this city right at the, the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. And, and remember, this is where Peter had grown up. These aren't large cities like we have today. And so Peter grew up in this region. He grew up very near to Capernaum. He would have known everybody. Everybody would have known him. Uh, they knew each other. And now uh, when Peter tells this story, it's not just a story that came from history. These are people who he knew, people who he grew up with. And Peter tells us this. Right after this, this incident in the house and Jesus heals the paralyzed man, Jesus, then Jesus went on to, uh, out to the lakeshore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi. Now, Levi would have been a very common name. Uh, you know, well, which Levi are you talking about? And, and Peter goes, well, it's Levi, son of Alphaeus. He goes, I, I, know, I know Alphaeus. You know, we grew up together. Uh, Levi and I grew up together. Alphaeus is probably friends with Peter's parents, you know. Levi, son of Alphaeus, he's sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, a tax collector, and we've talked about this in the past, but a tax collector is a Jewish man who is a, a, basically a, an official for the Roman government. And the Roman Empire occupies this territory. They are the ruling empire. And so they're, they're not Jewish people. They're the Romans, and they're occupying the land, but they're letting them live their lives under Roman occupation. And so they're employing Jewish citizens and saying, we're going to employ you to gather taxes. We want you to collect the taxes and make sure they get back to the Roman Empire. And so a Jewish tax collector was incredibly despised because not only were they being used by the Roman Empire, they were also, the Roman Empire didn't care. As long as they got their share, the Jewish tax collector could cheat all of their fellow countrymen and they could gather as many taxes as they wanted 
and there was no accountability. And so oftentimes they would gather more than what was required and skim off the top and get very, very rich at the expense of their fellow countrymen. Now, the Romans didn't think anything of them because they were Jewish, and the Jewish people hated them because they were cheating them out of their own, uh, out of their own money and getting wealthy off of the top of it. And so no one liked tax collectors. In fact, very often you read uh, throughout the scriptures that uh, Jesus was with sinners and tax collectors. They had their own category. Sinners went to bed at night and went, at least I'm not a tax collector. And so this is how despised they are. And it's very common. Uh, Peter knows Levi. It's very common practice for, uh, it's, it's possible they had interaction together. And now Peter's not just a fisherman. Peter is one of Jesus' guys. And Jesus, his reputation has spread all over the region. And Peter is one of his followers. He's one of his close-knit group of friends. And they're walking by and they see Levi. And we know him as Matthew. And Jesus stops and he looks at Levi. And Peter's thinking, I know, right, Jesus? <sighs> Disgusting. Can you believe this guy? I cannot believe this. Filthy tax collector. And Jesus walks right over to Levi and says, follow me and be my disciple. <laughs> and I, I, there's, there's no record of interaction, but I, I feel like Peter at this point just goes, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, he throws the penalty flag. Hold on, time out. We got to discuss this. Instant replay. Let's go back here, Jesus. Let's take a look at something here. Can we talk about this? I mean, you touched a leper and we all cringed when you did that, but we got through it and that, that was Okay. All right, and, and you know, you, you, you forgave the sins of the paralyzed man, and we don't even know what the sins of the paralyzed man were, but you forgave all of them. But this guy, we know exactly what his sins are. He does it every day, right out in the open. Jesus, you cannot be serious. If you continue down this path, you're going to cause irreparable damage to your reputation. And you're going to cause irreparable damage to this new movement that you're starting. And this is a lose-lose situation, Jesus, because everybody who is following you right now is just like me. And they like me. And I like them. And this guy is different. Okay? I'm telling you, this is not going to go well for us. Please, please, please. Why would you invite Levi to follow you? Jesus says, follow me. Be my disciple. And Levi got up and followed him. <laughs> it's amazing in the rest of Peter's account, in the whole rest of Peter's account, we don't get any other recording of Jesus calling out one single disciple to follow him. And I don't think Peter wants us to miss the contrast. The kingdom of God has come near. And everybody is invited to participate in it. The kingdom of God has come near. This is a kingdom that is unlike any other kingdom. This is, this is a, a kingdom that has come because the king has come. And it is a king who is ready to reorder everything, to reverse the order of everything that had been. And that means tax collectors are invited. And even people like Levi, who had betrayed their people out of greed. And Peter would eventually say, even people like me who had betrayed his savior out of fear. And I would say, that means even people like me, the preacher's kid. Uh, th that means before, you know what that means? I'm the preacher's kid. Before I committed sins, I had already memorized the verses about those sins. <laughs> all right, I'm just telling you. I had already memorized it. If anybody was without excuse, you're looking at them, all right? Uh, the fact that I would sin, the fact that I would ever lie, the fact that I would know better and do it anyway. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm without excuse. And so Peter and Andrew 
and James and John and Levi, this tax collector, and people like me, and people like you who, you know, dot, 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 fill in the blank. And Peter would stand there that day and think to himself, is everybody invited into this thing? I mean, Jesus, are you just letting everybody in? Is everybody invited to participate in this new kingdom with this brand new king? This brand new way would continue to collide with Peter's way. But Peter's way was going away. (laughs) Because the time had come. The kingdom of God was near. This new way of seeing ourselves, this new way of seeing the world, this new way of seeing others, it would collide with Peter's way. And it would collide with Peter's fear and Peter's insecurities and Peter's prejudices. And it continues to collide with my fear and my insecurities and my prejudice. And when you decide to follow Jesus, it will collide with your fear and your insecurities and your prejudice. But it is the way of the kingdom of God that has come near. And you're invited to be a part of it. And so Peter and Andrew and James and John, these are the initial followers of Jesus. They have a decision to make. Are they going to continue to stick with Jesus even though he's invited Levi to participate? Or are they going to leave him and go, all right, Jesus, you're on your own. We're going to form our own group and you and Levi start a new group. They've got a decision to make. Do we repent and believe the good news that God's kingdom has come to invite sinners into this brand new way? And so Jesus ignored certain religious protocol. And maybe for you, that's been an obstacle. Somewhere along the way, you got bumped out of faith. Somewhere along the way, you got bumped out of church because of some man-made rule that got put over the, the priority of people. And I want you to know, Jesus came to reverse the order of things. Jesus ignored certain religious protocol in favor of showing people what it looks like to participate as part of God's kingdom. Then Jesus claimed to have authority to forgive sin. If you've ever wondered, can Jesus forgive my sin? If you've ever wondered, am I really in right standing with God? If you've ever wondered, like, I need assurance that me and God are good. Jesus came to give us assurance. He has the authority to forgive sin. He invites you to live with the assurance that you and God are in right standing, to face it and embrace it. And finally, Jesus was uncomfortably comfortable with unrepentant sinners. You need to know, everybody's invited. Everybody's invited. Jesus came to reverse the order of things, and everybody's invited to participate. And if any of those have been a stumbling block for you to repent and believe, Peter would say, Jesus removed these obstacles. And you're invited, and you get to be a part of it. And part of it means for us as a church, we need to adopt the value system of our king. That if we are citizens of this new kingdom, then we begin to adopt the value system of our king, which means we ought to be uncomfortably comfortable with unrepentant sinners. We ought to create environments that show people we are uncomfortably comfortable with you. Hang out with us. Be a part of this. That's why we say all the time, you can belong even if you don't believe. Believing is not the prerequisite to belonging that you can come here and we will love you right where you are at and then you can continue to explore what it looks like. You can continue to explore what faith looks like, what God looks like, and even if you don't believe, you will be loved because that is what was modeled for you and I by our king. And if we're citizens of that kingdom, that is how we operate as well. And so if you've been following Jesus and you realize that you've unintentionally fallen into the trap of creating one of these obstacles, 
Maybe it's time to repent and believe. Maybe it's time to face it and embrace it and see the world and see yourself and see others the way that God does. And then Jesus will invite you to participate in his new kingdom. He would, he would allow himself to be put to death. His body would be laid in a tomb. And according to Peter and Andrew and James and John and Levi and about 500 other people who saw Jesus alive, they would say, man, we saw him die and we saw him alive again. And they became so convinced because, because when you see someone die and you see them alive again, it changes everything. And they were so convinced that Jesus was who he claimed to be that every one of them would eventually give their lives claiming that what they saw was true. And that means there's more to this life than this life. Death is not the end and you've been invited to be a part of God's family. And if you've never said yes to that, I wanna invite you to do that just by agreeing with this prayer. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for those times I've walked away from you and I'm so grateful you never walk away from me. And thank you that you don't put religious protocol ahead of people. So I wanna say yes to your invitation. Make me your son, make me your daughter and help me to put my trust in you and follow you as best as I know how from this moment on. And God, I pray for every one of us who are following you, may we never create these obstacles. May we never put a religious protocol or a man-made rule or regulation ahead of people who are created in your image. But instead, may we be uncomfortably comfortable with people who are far from you. May we love them where they're at and be a reflection of your love and your grace to the world around us. We commit this week to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.